church today, especially if you're here for the first time and you're joining us this morning, those of you watching online as well, church, can we just give a big welcome home to all those people today? We're so glad to see you here joining us online as well. We're glad you're in the house. We're going to have a great time today in the Word of God. Before we get into it, uh, let me just make mention to you, one of the things that I believe is the backbone of our church is small groups. Everybody say small groups. And we're launching season three uh, this year of small groups is coming up in September. Matter of fact, it launches in September 13th is the, is the next season of small groups. And so I want to encourage you, if you'd like to be a leader or get information about how to lead a small group, now let me just dismantle the, uh, the, 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 the misconception. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to lead a small group. Come on, somebody say amen. Because that's the big thing I hear a lot of times is, well, I don't know a whole lot about the Bible. That's okay. Our criteria is this. Do you love Jesus and do you love people? Because if you meet those two criteria, how many believe God can use you? And so we, we don't expect you to know anything as far as being all a theological scholar. We're going to equip you and resource you and train you. All we're asking you to do is can you gather some people to yourself to do life together in Jesus Christ? It's a lot of fun. And I believe this is the backbone of the church. This is where uh, encouragement, discipleship, this is where uh, the fun, the relationships occur in a church like this. How many believe as a church gets bigger, it must get smaller at the same time? And that's what small groups are all about. I would venture to say, if you're not in a small group, then you're really missing out here at Vibrant Church on the key component of your spiritual life, and that is relationships. But we really want people, we're looking for people who would step in the gap and say, hey, I can gather some people to myself. And we're not asking you to stop what you're doing to do what we're doing. We're just asking you, let us show you how to take what you're already doing and bring people around you and add a spiritual component to it and do life with other people. So if you, I'm not asking you to stop fishing to lead a small group. I'm just asking you to let us show you how to take some other guys with you fishing and let's do it in Jesus. Amen, everybody. So that's all. Hey, it's a lot of fun. So if you want more information, would you stop by guest services today and just say, hey, can I get some more information on what it, what it means to lead a small group here at Vibrant Church? We would love for you to get that information and to prayerfully consider doing that as we approach season three. Stop by guest service today. Okay, so we're in our series on Revelation. Somebody shout Revelation. Hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. I'm having a great time just deep diving into all of this prophetic future of the world and of God's people that he unveils to us in this uh, really intrinsic book of the Bible called Revelation. I want you to get your note sheet out and get ready. If you're online, our host in the chat room is gonna drop a link there for the note sheet for you to follow along with us and, and use it. You can use it in your own devotional time. But get ready. To, I'm gonna try my best to be as concise with our time today as possible, okay? Hey, last Sunday, thank you for hanging with me. Uh, I don't apologize for it because I believe the Holy Spirit needs to take control and do whatever he wants to do. But uh, thank you guys for hanging with me. And uh, today we're gonna try, you just gotta be, you gotta be patient because this is not a study or a teaching series that we just can do in 40 minutes. Do you understand? There's a lot here to unpack. So I hope my prayers, I'm gonna have your attention. God's gonna have your attention. And his word is gonna just, you're gonna, we're not even gonna know how much time goes by because we're just gonna be so just raptured in his word that we're gonna like, man, how much time has gone by? My oh, Pastor Jason preached three hours. No, I'm just kidding, I'm not gonna do that. But I might, you just never know. So that's the whole adventure, you just never know, right? Okay, so today, today we reach the midway point of this whole series. And today we're, we're gonna be parking in Revelation chapter 12, and we're gonna look at what I consider to be the most critical chapter in the entire book of Revelation. In fact, if you don't understand this chapter, you really are gonna have a hard time understanding the whole book. Revelation 12, which stands right in the middle of the book, outlines for us why 
everything is happening that's happening in the book of Revelation. We read about God's wrath and the judgments and, and all these testimonies and witnesses and all this stuff. And all these things are happening at the end of time. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why is all of this happening? Actually, there's an, there's an even broader question that people ask today before all of this even happens. And that is the question we hear a lot today. Why is there evil in the world? Why is all of this happening? It may be the most asked theological question of our generation. Why is there evil in the world? How many have ever had somebody ask that question around you? All of us have probably heard that question asked at one time or another. You've heard it. Why is there evil in the world? And Revelation 12 gives us the answer. Understand on the outset, there's some dark things in this chapter, no doubt about it. But there's also some powerful light in this chapter that we're going to get to. So let's read a few verses from Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Here's what scripture says. This is a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns. Some of y'all look like this in the morning, but that's okay. And seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And so it continues on and says her child was snatched up from God and to his throne. I want you to just, we're gonna come back to that. I just wanna keep that in your mind. He was snatched up from God and he went to the throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared her for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. And then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. What an incredible story. What an amazing story here. And this chapter right here tells us why there is evil in the world. There's three facts that it's actually built upon. I'm gonna give them to you as concise as I possibly can. The first reason that there's evil in the world, write this down, is because Satan is real. Satan is real. He's not just some unknown personality. He's a real person. He's not just some philosophical idea. He is a real spiritual being. Evil is more than just a force. He has a face, and that face is Satan. Satan is real. Revelation 12, as you read through it, has no less than seven different descriptions of this very real being that causes all kinds of havoc and evil to exist in the world. Honestly, there's a part of me that doesn't like to talk about Satan, right? How many of you know I'd rather, we'd rather talk about Jesus, right? We have a hard time bringing up the whole idea of Satan, yet the Bible tells us not to be ignorant of his schemes. 
There's a part of me that doesn't like to talk about Satan because sometimes when I talk about Satan, I know that it scares people a little bit. There's a fear that comes in that, that there is a real being that does exist and that does cause evil and he is so evil, but we don't wanna be ignorant of who he is. And so as I talk about Satan for a few minutes here, remember, I'm not finished. Okay, there's more to the story. So, so let's paint a picture of who he is and let's be honest with ourselves about it because if you're not honest about that, then you don't understand why there's evil in the world to begin with. So as I paint this picture, please believe me, it's not the whole picture. Please don't begin to feel afraid as a believer because of the evil one that does exist in this world. There is so much more to this picture we're gonna get into, but the beginning of it is, is that Satan is Real, and I wanna give you seven descriptions of them because these seven descriptions are found in chapter 12 that we just kinda read through, and I wanna go back to verse three because verse three says, then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on his head. So write this down in your notes because the first description we get of Satan is that he is, first of all, a dragon, and we see it in verse three. What a picture. I can't think of, of one that would probably affect our emotions more. It just kind of hits you. This, this picture of a dragon and an and evil one. Whenever you see a picture of a dragon, we see a picture of evil. We see a picture of destruction. In fact, in chapter 17 of Revelation, we're gonna begin to look at these horns and the heads that are on this dragon because there's a lot more detail we're gonna unpack about what all of that means. But that's not the purpose of chapter 12. For, for now, it's giving you a broad picture of what these seven heads and 10 horns actually mean in a broad sense, and it's a picture of completion. Everybody say completion. What these show is complete rule complete rule that he's been given authority over the earth. And the Bible teaches that that is true. Satan is called the ruler of the powers of the year and the prince of this world. Right, right before Jesus even began his earthly ministry, the Bible says Jesus and Satan collided with this massive confrontation in the wilderness. We know it as the three temptations of Christ in the wilderness where he conquered what Adam failed is where Jesus triumphed. And one of those temptations is Jesus was tempted to receive all the nations of the world from Satan if he would just bow down and worship him because Satan had complete power over the earth. That is absolutely, absolutely true. In fact, in Daniel chapter seven and verse seven, we remember from the Old Testament the same picture of the evil one who would have this incredible power. The, the beast that's talked about in Daniel 7 was, di was different from all the former beasts that were mentioned. It had 10 horns in Daniel 7, same number as we see here in, in Revelation 12. So anybody in John's day that would have read the, the, the prophet Daniel and would have read Revelation, they'd know it's the same evil force. This is a beast at the end of the story of Daniel. It's the same one as in Revelation chapter 12 in the book of Revelation. So understand, first description of Satan is, is one as a dragon. The second name that this gives him in verse nine is he's called the serpent. Now, when you hear that word serpent, what does it make you think of in terms of Satan? The, the, the Garden of Eden, right? And what happened there? You remember, everybody knows the story. In the garden, there was a serpent and he tempted Adam and Eve to disobey and sin against God. 
This is why I've said to totally understand the book of Revelation, you've got to have a working understanding of the Old Testament. But what I want us to see is the way we see the word serpent and how immediately we connect it to with what happened in the Old Testament. This was the way that the people in John's day would have seen these pictures that we're reading about in the book of Revelation. They were so familiar with the Old Testament. They would have connected all of these dots in a much deeper way than we do here in the 21st century. Satan is the serpent. He is the cunning one who comes into our lives and tempts us to ruin our lives and to hurt the heart of God. That's who he is. He's also called in verse nine, he's called the devil. Everybody say the devil. John doesn't want us to miss who this is. He's the serpent. He is the devil. He is Satan. The word devil literally means slanderer. Satan is the one who tells lies. In fact, Jesus said he is the father of lies. He birthed them. He created them. He doesn't know any other way to speak but in a lie. He tells lies about people. He tells lies about us. He tells lies about your circumstances. He is called the devil, the liar. That's who he is. We're just exposing the enemy today. Is that okay, everybody? But he's also called something else in verse nine. He's called adversary. Everybody say adversary. That's what Satan actually means. The word Satan means adversary, the one who fights against us. I don't know who you think your greatest adversary is, but scripture teaches it's not people, it's Satan. The issue or the person is not your problem. It's what's working behind the issue and the person. Come on, somebody, say amen. But he's also the one we see here in Revelation in verse nine. He's also the one who leads the whole world astray, scripture says. The whole world, everyone in the world, it's his fault. Come on, aren't you glad it makes you feel better? Aren't you glad it's not your fault, right? It's his fault, right? It's Satan's fault. It's not your fault. It's nobody else's fault, but that's not the issue. Yes, he leads us astray, but who agrees to go astray? We do. So every time we agree, guess what? It's now our responsibility. But who's the one doing the leading? He is. It's funny, when it comes to sin, a lot of people think that they're very creative. Like you're the first one to thought that up. Hey, people think they're very creative when they sin. Like, like, like you think it's your idea. Like it's one of the attractions of sin, right? That you think you're the first one that actually thought that up. You're the first one who had this creative idea to do this thing that nobody else has thought of to do. That you're more brave and you're more courageous than anybody else. But the Bible reminds us Satan is the one who leads the whole world astray. So anytime you go into sin, it's like you've got a ring in your nose and the Satan is just pulling on your string. So anytime he tempts you to think, man, you're being creative right now. You've figured out a sin that nobody else has figured out. It's just Satan doing what? Leading you astray. But when you or I, when, when we say yes to it, it's now our responsibility. It's not his responsibility anymore. God holds us responsible for saying yes to the sin that we agreed to. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why is there sin in the world? Why is there evil in the world? Why do terrorists murder tens of thousands of innocent people? Because Satan leads the whole world astray. Why do kids walk into their own high schools or colleges and massacre and kill their fellow students and teachers? Because Satan leads the whole world astray. Why do people think it's perfectly okay to murder tens of thousands of babies a year in the evil called abortion? 
because Satan leads the whole world astray. Yes, I said it. We are pro-life here at Vibrant Church. Mm. I just felt, man, my goodness, yes. Why does a man named Timothy McVeigh in 1995 get the idea that the right thing to do is to bomb a building in Oklahoma City and murder thousands of people? I'll tell you why. Because Satan leads the whole world astray, right? Why do terrorists get the idea to fly planes into the World Trade Center and cause the greatest assault on our nation's soil that we've ever seen since Pearl Harbor? Because Satan leads the whole world astray. Why do we see violence running amok in the streets of our cities right now? Because Satan leads the whole world astray. How can a billionaire named Jeffrey Epstein live a secret life sex trafficking young girls? And how can his rich and powerful friends around the world pay money to abuse those girls? Because Satan leads the whole world astray. It's his idea, but we say yes to it. But let me just bring it closer to home because that's kind of, that's kind of out there. Let's bring it closer to home. Why does a mom or dad physically or verbally abuse their child? Because Satan leads the whole world astray, right? Why do we keep saying yes to the same sin and the same temptation over and over and over again? We've told ourselves a thousand times that we're not gonna fall for it again, but yet we do. Why do we do that? Because Satan leads the whole world astray. Are you getting this? Now understand, this is the good news. Satan does have a limit for us as believers. Y'all better lean into this. Not for the whole world, but the Bible says that he does have a limit for us as believers. For you and I as believers, listen, for Satan to send a temptation into our life, don't miss this, he must first ask God's permission. Why? Because we are not of this world, we belong to him. That's what scripture teaches. You mean every time I'm tempted, God gave him permission? Oh, yes, he did. I'm gonna unpack that for you. There's a couple of examples of this, actually. In the Old Testament, you have the example of Job, where the Bible says Satan went before the throne of God and said, can I send these trials into Job's life? You say he's such a righteous man, God, but I guarantee you, you pull the hedge of protection around his life and let me at him, and I promise you he will curse and forsake you. We don't know all the reasons why God said yes to, to Satan to, to put the trials into Job's life. We do know that God trusted Job to be faithful to him. It was almost like Satan put God to a test and God trusted Job's faith so much he said, have at him and watch what happens. And we know the end of the story. Job was even more righteous and reaped back way more than he ever lost through the trials that he endured. We also know that trials grow us and they, trials draw us closer to God. So there's a reason that God sometimes grants permission. But we don't know all the reasons why God says yes to Satan to tempt us. We do know that when we go through the same trials that the world is going through, it means that we can be a better witness to the world around us. How many of you know empathy is a powerful tool? When you've gone through some, it's easy to dismiss people's pain when you've never felt it. But when you felt the pain, when you fell into a certain sin, when you destroyed a part of your life for something and you've overcome and all of a sudden somebody around you is going through the same pain, you empathize with something in your spirit that God turns compassion toward them and you can say, hey, I've been here. Let me help you out. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? 
We certainly don't all know all the reasons. We know some of the reasons. God doesn't want us to face temptation, so we'll say yes. And so we'll be like the world. He wants us to face them so we'll learn how to say no by and through his power and show a world a different way to live. But sometimes we say yes. The good news, it's gotta go through God. And there's a New Testament example of this too. Jesus is talking to Peter and he says, guess what, Peter? (laughs) You don't know this, but I just found out. Satan has gone before the Father and he has desired to sift you as wheat. Luke twenty two thirty one. 31, you can read it on your own. Satan has asked the father if he could put you through this trial that you're gonna go through where you're gonna deny me three times. And guess what? God granted Satan the permission to do it. So Satan did, does have to get permission when it comes to God's people. Every trial, every temptation that you go through in your life, God already knows about it. And that means in every trial, in every temptation, guess what? God has an answer for it in advance. It's not like he doesn't know that Satan's gonna throw it at you. He already told us in his word. Satan is the one who leads the whole world astray. But he's also, according to verse 10, he's also the accuser. That's his, that, this is a name for Satan. Have you ever heard of the voice of the accuser in your life? So watch, he's first the tempter, he's the tempter, and then he's the accuser. So he first tempts you to do something wrong. Go ahead and read that and say that and think that and do that and look at that and take that. Then as soon as you say yes and do it, what happens? What does he turn into? He immediately turns from the tempter to being the accuser. And he starts saying, what kind of Christian would say that? Man, who do you think you you are to be able to do that? Wow. What would Jesus do? WWJD. Wow, look at you. What would Jesus say if he saw you thinking or doing that? You should be ashamed of yourself. Jesus died for you and you're doing that? He tempts you to do it and then once he got you to take the bait, then he turns from the tempter into the accuser. And all those accusations that come and, they, and, and, and bring condemnation, it brings guilt, it brings shame, it brings bondage, right? But aren't you glad the word of God says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Amen. That we have an advocate with the Father. When we sin, we can go to him and ask for forgiveness. And he is faithful and just to forgive us. Come on and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no condemnation. He is the accuser. That's what he does. And in a moment, I want to show you how to defeat those accusations. But before we get there, I want to remind you of the fact that the accusations go much deeper than you and I even realize. See, we think the accusations we hear in in our minds that that's all it is, is him accusing us. But scripture says that Satan also accuses the saints before God in heaven. He doesn't just accuse you directly. He accuses you before God in heaven. It says that Satan actually goes into heaven before God and says, yeah, they gave their lives to Jesus. Okay, yeah, they were really growing. They started reading their Bible. They started praying. They started going to small group. They went through the growth track. They serve on the deep dream team. And look at them now. Look what they're doing. He brings these accusations against us before the Father. And what does God do with those accusations? We're gonna find out in just a minute. I'm so glad you asked. It's an incredible thing that God does with an accusation. But aren't you glad today that Satan is not the only character in this story? Right? Okay, one final thing about Satan before we move on to the good news, and that is this, that he knows 
his time is short. In fact, I forgot to read it in verse 12 earlier. I skipped over it, but it says that he knows his time is short. He doesn't have much time. And so he's like a cornered animal. He knows his time is short. By the way, why follow someone whose time is short? I'd rather follow someone who's gonna last for all of eternity. Amen, everybody? Now, before we go on and look at these other characters, there's a question that we need to answer, and that is, why is there a Satan? Satan is real, but why is there a Satan? I mean, if God hadn't allowed Satan to exist, then none of this would have happened in our world, right? The temptation in the garden would have never happened. Man, we can blame Adam and Eve when we get to heaven. Like, we could have all been in the garden of Eden right now, eating fruit, naked, or whatever we're doing, and nobody would have thought, it'd have been awesome. I just lost like half of you, so whatever, <laughs> whatever. So, <laughs> so, so, when we, so when we get to heaven, you blame Adam and Eve. Just, just look at them and go, bro. Everything we went through, right? The fall of man would have never happened. None of these things would have happened. So why is there a Satan? There's no easy answer to that. There's this problem of evil and suffering and why there's a say. It's probably the toughest question that people ask in our faith without a doubt. God made the world in which evil could exist and continues to exist, yet why? Why did God allow it? I don't know the complete answer to that, but I do know some of the answer. I do know that God allowed it so you and I could have the freedom to make a choice to love him and to serve him. I know that God allowed it because in his sovereignty, he wanted to have the power, all power over the universe and over the world. I know some of the answers, but it's really too deep for me and anybody, it's too big for us to even comprehend. Why did God allow it? We know just a little bit about that. But the other question is, why doesn't God stop it? I do know the answer to that question. Why doesn't God stop it? And the answer is, he already has. Come on, that's what the cross of Jesus Christ was all about. When Jesus died on the cross, it was settled. It was sealed. Satan knows that his time is short. It's already over. And because of that, we live with this incredible hope. So rather than de 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 destroying those who are evil, God decided to defeat evil at its source. Anybody glad that he did that for us? Right? Come on, if he, 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 if he decided to destroy evil, well, I'm evil and you're evil in a sense of our being. So if he decided to just wipe out all of evil, he would have burned us all to a crisp, gone, over. But instead, God decided to spare us and renew and redeem us, but to defeat evil at its source, which means you and I get to live in the goodness and the grace of God for all of eternity. I don't know how he came up with a plan like that, but I'm so glad he did. It's the greatness of our God. Can you say amen? So point number one is that Satan is real. Are y'all still with me? Point number two is this. God will not be defeated. He refuses to be defeated. He will never be defeated. There's two other main characters besides Satan in this story of, of good uh, over evil, and you can't miss the other two main characters. If all you do is look at Satan and all of this, then you're gonna be depressed for the rest of your life. Right? But if you look at the other two main characters that are also mentioned in this book in chapter 12, hope begins to flood into your heart. And so we go back to, to verse one. 
He says, a great sign. Somebody shout, a great sign. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. This woman that's clothed with the sun is called a great sign. It's not just a woman, it's a great sign. Those of you who are engaged, brother, you may be saying that about her. She ain't just a woman, bro. She's a great sign. I don't know. But she's not just a woman. She's a great sign. Who is this woman? When you read the story in, in chapter 12, you think, well, here's this woman, and she gives birth to a child. This must, the child must be Jesus. This must be. So, so the first thought is that this woman is Mary. However, when you really read into what this woman is and what happens to her and the rest of the story, it's pretty obvious this is not Mary. Things are still happening to this woman long after Mary has gone to heaven. So who is this woman? There are some people who think that it's just Israel. It's representation of the Old Testament saints. There are other scholars who believe that it's just the church. It's New Testament saints. I believe it's both. I believe it's both Old Testament and New Testament saints. It's the people of God all the way from the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, all who have believed in Jesus before he died and after he died through faith, they have come to this incredible fellowship and relationship with him. The woman with the moon beneath her feet and stars around her head showing both dominion and royalty has this incredible place in the plan of God. God chose for himself a people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. Today, we are the people of God, Jew and Gentile together. God has, has still chosen a people for himself. Now, the people that God chose for himself, beginning in the Old Testament, is that enough to defeat evil? The fact that God chose the people for himself and, and showed them his word and showed them the way and he gave them the law and he built the tabernacle where they could go and they could worship him, is that enough to defeat evil in this world? No, it's not, because the Bible reveals evil makes its way into God's people. The Old Testament saints had evil in their midst all the time. God did a great miracle, let them out of Egypt. And what do they do? They're in the wilderness worshiping Baal. God did all these things and what do they do? They're turning to evil. During the times of the judges, that's all you see is evil running amok in God's people and them committing spiritual idolatry over and over, forsaking their vows to him. Then all of a sudden, we, you, you, you get in later into the Old Testament and you see all this other stuff that's going on. God provides, God does this, God rescues. And what do they do? They turn, evil is among the Old Testament saints. So it's not enough to defeat evil. But the third character, the most important character in this incredible story of good over evil, by the way, it's not good versus evil. That's not our story as Christians. If you think that's the story, you've missed the whole point. That's an Eastern kind of an idea, good versus evil, like they're both equally powerful and there's this battle going on to see who wins. That's not our story. Our story is good over evil because we know that God has already won it all anyway, right? So in this drama of good over evil, in, in verse two of chapter 12, the Bible says this woman was pregnant and she cried out in pain, and she was about to give birth. And then in verse five, the Bible says that she gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. In Psalm uh, chapter two and verse nine, talking about Jesus, the Bible says he will rule over them with an iron rod. 
So even if you didn't know that, you'd recognize Jesus here. Jesus went to a cross. He stretched out his hands. He let them pierce his hands and his feet and his blood flowed. He gave his life for us. Now I ask you, is that enough to defeat evil? You bet your life it's enough. It's way more than enough. The sacrifice of Jesus that he gave us on the cross is the only thing that is enough to defeat all the evil that is in this world. Do you believe that somebody? It's already happened right there on the cross. It's over. It's done. It's finished. Evil has already been defeated. But here's this dilemma. Evil has already been defeated, and yet we still live with it. And how is that? I want you to kind of think of it through this example. It's kind of like D-Day during World War II. Remember D-Day and the invasion that happened in the beach of Normandy? On D-Day, at a great sacrifice and through a great loss of blood, a tiny, tiny piece of beach was won. When that happened, all across the rest of Europe, there were people who didn't even know about it. They didn't even know what was going on. It seemed like everyone was still under the control of Hitler and his evil power. But when that happened, that very day that that happened, victory was assured in the war. Because from that moment on, little by little, victory was being won. And that's what happens in our own lives individually. And that's what ends up happening in the world eventually. That's what the book of Revelation is about. About this great final battle where victory is won, but it's being gained little by little by little. June 6, 1944, D-Day, a date that assured victory for the world. In the same way, the cross of Jesus Christ, that is our victory that assures us for all of eternity. That evil will not prevail. There's no way it can prevail. Come on, the victory's already won. We're just waiting on the party. Come on, somebody. I'm gonna preach. But there's this final truth. The final truth is this. There is no victory without a battle. See, the book of Revelation, it's about a battle. Somebody shout a battle. In your own life, guess what? It's all about a battle sometimes, isn't it? Do you ever all of a sudden face real tangible problems in yourself and in your kids and your husband and your wife? Yeah, totally unexpected. Your life just gets torn apart in just a moment. We face a battle every single day. And to say that we don't really is just to lie to ourselves. There is no victory without a battle. And Revelation Four talks about four specific battles. I'm not going to jump back into Revelation 4, but I, want to, I just want to touch there for a second because there's four battles that's mentioned. As you walk through these battles, it gives you a pretty clear picture of the battle that we are in with Satan right now. It's an incredible chapter about the battle and the characters that are involved. You've got Satan. You've got the people of God. You've got Jesus. You've got victory already assured. But what about the battles that lead their way to victory? I want to show them to you real quick. Write these down in your notes. First of all, Revelation 4 reveals the first battle is the battle against Jesus. In fact, if you go back to Revelation 12 that we're in today and you look at verses 3 through 6, it actually says, Then another sign appeared in the heaven, an enormous red dragon, with seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars of the sky and flung them to the earth. Then the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might, not, it might devour her child the moment it was born. Satan didn't want Jesus to be born. So 
he battled to see that he was not born. You probably remember the story. Yet the Bible says that Jesus was born. And then he was, the Bible reveals that, if you remember earlier, I told you to keep your thought in a, in a pen in that statement in Revelation 12, when it says, and all of a sudden he was born, and then all of a sudden he appeared in his throne with God, right? So then he's caught up to be with God on the throne where he belongs. So just like that, here in Revelation 12, you go straight from Christmas to the ascension. It's just boom. Like all the 33 years in between, you skip over all of that, all of those stories of Jesus, because in Revelation, it just tells us that part is all that chapter 12 wants to focus on. He is born, and then just when it seems like Satan is going to win the victory on the cross, God wins the victory. Jesus goes back to the throne where he belongs. God knew that was going to happen the entire time. So there's this incredible battle. But in this battle between Jesus and Satan, this battle about Jesus' birth, which is a crucial moment of victory, understand it began long before Jesus was actually born. It's not as if Satan was only there in Bethlehem to make sure Jesus wasn't born, or that he was only there with Herod, trying to get Herod to make sure that he killed the child after he was born. No, no, Satan had been there the whole time. Genesis 3 and verse 15 says, from the very beginning, there's gonna be this battle between the serpent's seed and the woman's seed. That the serpent would bite the heel of her offspring, but Christ would prevail and crush his head. So from the very beginning, there's been this battle. And guess what? There are several dragons in the Bible, all depicting the same person. Pharaoh was called the dragon in scripture, possessed by Satan. Satan tried to use Pharaoh to keep the people of God from getting to the promised land, to keep God's plan from happening. Nebuchadnezzar was called a dragon, completely possessed of the evil one, who tried to rip God's people out of the promised land to keep his plan from happening. All through, the battle goes all through the Old Testament. In fact, if you start reading the Old Testament with that theme in mind, that it's a battle, that Satan is trying to make sure somehow this promised one, the Messiah, you see at the very beginning, right after sin in Genesis 2, you see the promise of the Messiah in chapter 3 of Genesis, and then there's this battle that rages through the rest of the Old Testament until Jesus is finally born in the New Testament, and he has come. See, when you read it that way, it's very refreshing. Wow. There is a battle, and aren't you glad Jesus won, right? There's a second battle that Revelation talks about, the battle in heaven. Everybody say heaven. This is an interesting one. We know about the first one, but this is an amazing battle. If you go to verses 7 and 9 of chapter 12, it says, then war broke out in heaven. Now, let me stop right there. It says, war broke out in heaven. Strange that war would break out in heaven. Has heaven always been perfect? Most of us thought so. But if there's a war in heaven, has heaven always been perfect? No. But God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth that's going to be eternally perfect. Can you say amen, everybody? So there's this war in heaven, and it says that Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. And a great dragon, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled down to the earth and his angels with him. So as you read the story about this battle, one of the confusing things about this is it goes back and forth from earth to heaven. It goes back and forth. And trying to figure out the chronology, 
you know, when all these things are happening, did this happen at the cross? Did this happen right before sin came into the world? You know, when did all this happen? It'll drive you bananas if you try to figure it out. Remember, time in heaven and time on earth are totally different. I don't believe that there is any such thing as time as we know it in heaven. I don't believe that. I believe that there are events in heaven, but not minutes. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Heaven is all about occurrences. Heaven is all about the greatness and the glory of God. It's not about looking at your watch and thinking, well, one more minute to the next billion years, everybody. You know, it's not like that. You could, you could literally, in heaven, you're gonna be part of just an event that happens that in human time may take 10 minutes, but in heaven, it would be a billion years. You wouldn't even know. That's hard to fathom, isn't it? It really is. I hope that this next, I hope that it excites you a little bit to think about the next thing for us is we're gonna go from a place where we're trapped in time. Come on, we're gonna be in a place where time has no hold on us. Yes. Amen, everybody. This is another, just one incredible event, event after another that we're gonna experience. It's not counting the hours, it's enjoying the presence of the Lord. Time in heaven and time on earth are so different as you go back and forth between heaven and earth in these battles. You can't exactly figure out where, where one fits into the other. But what I do want you to see is these are four significant battles of evil, watch, that have already been won. And this, this one was also won, and we talk about this battle in heaven, right? The Bible says that Satan was cast down, he was thrown down to earth, and he was thrown down in verse four. It says that his, his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them down to earth with him. That word stars is used a number of times in the Bible to refer to angels. Everybody say angels. So this is talking about fallen angels. Angels, a third of the angels falling with Satan who joined in his rebellion. We call those demons today. You mean to tell me demons exist? Yep. And the fact that you're oblivious to it tells me they're all over you. And you don't even know. Well, that may explain a whole bunch of, yeah. Yeah. I knew there was something wrong with her. Don't go there. I'm talking about you. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it. Okay. It's talking about fallen angels here. Demons do exist. That's what fallen angels are. In fact, in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, when Jesus' disciples had gone out for the first time uh, to, to spread the good news, they had gone out on their own. He commissioned them. They came back excited about what God was doing. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It's an incredible verse. It reminds us that somehow in the mystery of God, what you and I do when we witness, when, we, when we're faithful to God and share Jesus, is we're part of that victory in heaven. We're part of that victory of that battle. I don't understand how that works, but somehow we are a part of this incredible victory that has happened in heaven. By the way, do you remember why Satan fell? There's a couple of, uh, of places in the Bible that, that talk about it. Satan fell because he thought that he could be like God. It's, it's, it's his temptation from the beginning. It's his attitude. Remember in the Garden of Eden when he tempted Eve, he said, why don't you just eat this? Because if you do, you'll become like God. And here in Revelation 12, just in the greatness of God and how God designs things, the archangel Michael is the one who gets the privilege of defeating him in this battle. Interestingly, watch, the name Michael means who is like God. 
So God gives Michael that name to defeat the one who tried to be like God. Now, how many believe this morning that there is no one like our God? Come on, he is matchless. That's the story here. There is no one like him. So this battle in heaven is won by God. The Bible says Satan is thrown down to the earth. And then we have the battle that is against the woman. This is the people of God. So Satan also battles God's people. He always has. You can see it all through the Old Testament. He's always battled the people of God. He's always battled, first of all, the Jewish people. He's always battled the nation of Israel. He battles them still today. The power behind anti-Semitism is Satan. Why do you think all those things happen all the time to Israel? Satan is behind that power. He hates the fact that God brought out this nation, that God brought out of this nation a redeemer who's going to defeat him forever. He hates that. And in a very brief amount of time between when he's defeated, while God is bringing more and more people to himself, and when he's finally cast into hell, it's this very brief amount of time that Satan is expressing his hatred. He hates God's people today. He has from the very beginning. And you and I as believers, whether Jew or Gentile, listen, he hates us. You can see it in the New Testament at the very beginning. Here's these people who just wanted to follow Jesus Christ. And because of that, what happens? They're being thrown to lions. They're being burned at the stake. Why were they targeted? Of all the religions that existed in Rome at the time, why, was, why were they targeted why was the Christians of the early church taught? There were a thousand religions in Rome. It's because Satan hates God's people. And he is the one who leads the whole world astray. He's a little more cunning about it today than being thrown to lines and being burned out the stake. And how many of you are glad about that? Amen, everybody, right? But there's a part of me that realizes that rather than Satan immediately sending a temptation or a trial into my life to, to destroy my life immediately, sometimes he does it slowly. Today, he does it a lot more sneaky in a way that you don't even notice. So instead of being burned at the stake and dying immediately, I throw my life away a little bit at a time on sin and selfishness. Instead of being thrown to the lines and dying instantly, I take this life and this opportunity that God's given me to make a difference and I throw it away little by little. It's death on layaway. It's death on the installment plan. How many people today, God's people, are contributing and investing little by little down payments in their own destruction? And then when it's all destroyed and they're sitting in rubble, then Satan has gone from the tempter to the accuser. Look what you did, right? It's still happening today. Satan still hates God's people, and there's this incredible battle. And as you walk through it, it tells us how this battle is going to happen. In verse 3, it says this dragon saw that he had been hurled down from earth. And the Bible says he pursued this woman. He pursued the people of God. And scripture says the woman was given two great wings as of an eagle. It's a very interesting picture. Because in Exodus 19 and verse 4, it says that when God brought his people out of Egypt into the promised land, God said in Exodus 19:4, I carried you on eagle's wings. So, so here, we are being carried with him. Come on, glory to God. This is a picture all through the Old Testament, and it's reflected again here in the book of Revelation that you and I are carried as his people with him to safety. The truth 
that the Holy Spirit, I believe, wants us to get in all this is whatever trials we go through as Christians, listen, whatever horrors that we might have to face in this world, God will always be there to protect us at just the right time to do just the right thing. Amen, everybody. So now we see Satan comes back and he tries to pour out his wrath. Are y'all okay so far? Can I still, can I keep going? I'm going to anyway. Okay, so in verse 15, he, he, he comes back and he tries to pour his wrath out. It says, then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and, and, and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing that river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Aren't you glad that God's not gonna give up on us as his people, right? We're in a battle, no doubt, but God's not gonna give up on us. And it says in verse 17, then the dragon was enraged at the woman. He went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Who do you think that is? That's us. We're the ones who obey God's commands. So it brings us to finally to this battle, the fourth one that is against believers. Ephesians chapter six reminds us that we are in a spiritual battle against spiritual forces of darkness. If you haven't realized that, if you haven't been honest with yourself about the fact that we are in a battle in this world, you have missed the truth that makes the whole book of Revelation make sense. If you think that there is no battle in, in this world, then there's no reason for war, there's no reason for victory in Revelation, then we just might as well pack up shop and go home. But the truth is, how many believe we are in a war? You see it every day. You have to lie to yourself not to see that. It's an incredible battle of sin and evil. All you have to do is look at the morning headlines and you see Satan at work all over our country, all over this world. All you have to do is look at your own life. Look at your own family. We are in a battle against sin and evil. If you're on that battlefield and you're a soldier and you pretend there's no battle going on, how many think you might have been a little bit of trouble? Right, just strolling through the battlefield, bullets flying overhead everywhere, bombs going off all around you, and you have no weapon, no strategy, no plan, no support, no communication. You don't even duck when the bullets come by. You're gonna be in serious trouble, am I right? It's insane to think that we do that, but we do sometimes. We just live like we're not in one. And we wonder why the enemy has a heyday. We wake up in all these trials and these torments of life. And where'd this come from? Well, it started when you started living in daisies and roses in your head. That's where it all started. When you thought that living for Jesus was Care Bear Land. And it was my little pony world. And the enemy saw it and he fed you those images of Toy Story. That's what it means to be a Christian. And all the while you're living in an animated cartoon, he's wreaking havoc in your marriage, in your children, in your finances, in your mind, in your emotions. And all of a sudden, when everything is in burning rubble, guess what happens? The cartoon ends, the blinders come off, and you see the rubble, and you go, what happened? You forgot you were in a battle. All this good preaching today. We don't like to think about the battle. I don't. I want to be in heaven. I want to be all over with. I want the battle to be over. Can I get an amen somebody, right? And we happen to live in a country also where there's a lot of comfort. 
We're not killed like the Christians are in other countries right now today. Or a lot of comfort. You know, it's easy to kind of almost pretend sometimes here in America that maybe there isn't a battle going on. Right? You better wake up and realize the battle is raging right now. And let me just expose it to you in case you're not awoke to it. The battle's raging right now politically. If you think for one minute that there's not powers politically at work right now to try to take away our religious freedom and freedom to worship and declare the good news of Jesus, you better get woke up real quick. It's true. We get to enjoy the presence of God right now. We get to have this liberty. But to pretend that the battle isn't there also is to lie to yourself, and that sets you up for incredible disappointment, I'm telling you. How many believe that we are in a battle, right? That's what this world is like. And the good news is the battle's going to be won by God. We are enduring it, but the victory's already assured. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And even, and even better news is this. The even better news is that we get to be involved in the victory. Right? If I'm in the battle, one of the things I want to know is where are the shots coming from? That's always a good thing to know. Where are the positions of offense against me? Well, let me show you some places where the shots are going to come from. Can I give these to you real quick? I'm going to go over my time, so just saddle up, okay? So how does Satan wage war? You ain't got to pee that bad. Stay seated. How does Satan wage war? Let me show you where the shots are coming from. Number one, he instigates betrayal. He instigates sin and betrayal. People you trust will betray you. Can I get a witness in God's house? That's part of the battle. He does that. Let me give you another one. He tempts the righteous. He will send temptations into your life. Man, I'm telling you stuff you cannot even believe. You, I'm literally, you, you, how in the world did I think that? Where did that even come from? My God, something is wrong. No, you're nothing wrong with you. You're just being attacked. You're being attacked because something's right with you. If you weren't being attacked, something's wrong with you. And even worse, sometimes we fall for it, don't we? But it, that's how he does it. Here's another place where the shots come from is that he afflicts suffering on the innocent. I don't even want to even unpack that right now because we see this happening in the world all over the place right now. Afflicting suffering on innocent people. Broke my heart this week, and it should have every God-fearing person of, of any background to see that a five-year-old boy is playing in his front yard, and a deranged, demon-possessed man comes out in, across the street and puts a bullet in this five-year-old kid's head right in front of his, his siblings. And if you don't think that the enemy is the one who leads the world astray, you're completely mistaken. Suffering on the innocent. And I could go on and on. I can give you a myriad of examples. But he also does this, and y'all better lean into this one, because this is something I won't tolerate at Vibrant. He sows discord among believers. Listen, we are a church of unity here. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not sameness. We all have to be the same. No, unity demands diversity. But we're going to be a church of unity. We don't do gossip here. We don't do backbiting in this church. So wherever you came from, if that was a part of the culture, hey, you better leave that at the door. Because we will not put up with that here. We are going to be a church 
that protects each other, looks after each other. Yes, you're going to get offended and get your feelings hurt. Why? Because you've got imperfect people around you, and you're one of them. Stop trying to look for a perfect church. A, you won't find it. And if you do, the minute you step in, it's going to be imperfect. Selah. Hey, we're going to have differences. We're going to have our feelings hurt. We're going to have people rub up against each other and, you know, friction and different personalities. It happens in churches. That's not the issue. The issue is not who's right. The issue is who makes it right. I believe in our unity so much that if you offend me, I'm not going to pack my toys and go home. That's what the enemy wants is to create discord. No, I'm going to flow against that and do the life-giving thing and come to you as my brother and sister and say, hey, can we resolve this because I love you? Oh, that's so good preaching, man. I could spend four weeks on a series. Matter of fact, I think I will. So anyway, here's another place where the shots come from. Are y'all getting anything out of this? Okay, here's another place where the shots come from. He removes the good seed of the gospel. You see someone begin to grow and good things begin to happen in their life and all of a sudden they're back to their old life. Doesn't that discourage you? It's a shot from Satan. It's how he fights. Here's the sixth one. And that is he blinds the eyes of unbelievers. You have a friend and you've told them again and again about Jesus and what he's done in your life. And they've come to Easter and Christmas at New Year's. All right, vibrant, right? They're C&E Christians. Christmas and Easter, right? And you're thinking, why can't they see this? Why can't they see what they're missing? They can't see the good news because Satan has blinded them. That's why we ought to pray that the Spirit of God would remove the blinders that they could see the good news of Jesus Christ. It's one of the shots that he takes. In 1 Peter 5, it reminds us that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It reveals the seventh shot, and that is this. He seeks to eat up our lives as believers, to eat us. So yes, we are in a battle, but the good news is you and I get to be a part of the victory. How, Pastor Jason, how can I be part of the victory? I'm so glad you asked. Because verse 11 of chapter 12 that we're in says, they overcame him. Come on, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Let me give you three ways we're gonna be part of the victory. Write these down. Number one is that we overcome by the blood of the lamb. Jesus Christ. Satan will come to you sometimes and he'll accuse you. Remember, I told you I was going to come back to this. He'll start accusing you. What kind of Christian are you that you would say something like that about somebody? That you would allow those thoughts into your mind? What is that? What kind of Christian are you that you would let your finances get that way and not be a good steward of God? What kind of Christian are you that you would say something like that to your family? What kind of Christian are you that you would fall for the same temptation over and over again? What kind of Christian are you? And Satan comes and he says, you are a mess. You're an absolute mess. What are you gonna do when he says that to you? Hey, let me tell you what you ought to do. You ought to agree with him because you are a mess. And so am I. I mess up all the time. Come on, I believe lies. I act selfishly. Come on, we all mess up all the time. We're malicious. We're self-indulgent. We hurt other people. We hurt ourselves. So when Satan comes to you and says, you are a mess, what kind of Christian do you think you are? Just say, I agree. I am a mess. But then remind him of the blood of Jesus Christ because that is where our victory is. 
Listen, if you think your victory is in cleaning your own life up and cleaning up your own self according to your own religious effort, you're going to be in for a lot of defeats. I came to declare today that the victory is in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how we overcome. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Secondly, we overcome. We are victorious by the word of our testimony. When we share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody and they accept that good news and they receive that into their life. We are spreading victory one person at a time. It's the kind of victory that God wants to work in the world today in the hour in which we live. But the third is that we are part of the victory because we love the Lord above our own lives. We love him above ourselves More than anything else this world has to offer, we love the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you can have this world, just give me Jesus. You can have all the money, just give me Jesus. You can have all the fame, just give me Jesus. You can have all the, all the headlines, just give me Jesus. The greatest weapon that a believer ultimately has against Satan is that we are prepared even for death because we love him more than anything else. A bishop who lived in the third century, right after he became a believer, he wrote a friend about what it meant to be a believer. And he said this, and I quote, he said, it's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But in the midst of it, he said, I have found a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. <laughs> They are despised and they are persecuted, but they care not. These people are called Christians and I am one of them. And I am one of them. And you are one of them. And because we are called Christians, because we are his people, we live in his victory. What does it mean that I am one of them? It means that you have so much hope for the future that you don't have to hold on to your life selfishly. You don't have to hold on to your life fearfully. You can live with hope. What does it mean that we are his people? It means that we have a story to tell that can change entire eternity for somebody's life. What does it mean that we are his people? It means that we have a, a weapon guaranteeing victory. And no matter what happens in our life, the blood of Jesus Christ, victory is guaranteed. In your battle with temptation, victory is absolutely guaranteed. In your battle with depression, victory is guaranteed. In your battle with discouragement, victory is guaranteed. In your battle with circumstances and prejudice and materialism and injustice, any battle in this world, come on, victory is already guaranteed. Can you give Jesus a praise for it right now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heads bowed, eye closed. Nobody leave this room. I want to pray for you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Whew. God, I feel your presence today. God, wake us up. Wake us up in this hour as your people to realize that we are in a battle. We are in a fight. The good news is we win, but it's a struggle. But we thank you that you've given us the blood of your son 
you've given us a word of testimony. Oh God, we thank you that you have assured our victory, that we can live in hope. We can live in absolute hope. We don't fear our life because we love you far much more than our life. If death were to come, let it come. Because to live with Christ, to live as Christ and to die is gain. Paul said, I'm already a dead man. How can you kill me? I've already been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I don't live anymore. Nevertheless, Christ lives in and through me. God, do a work in our heart. As you remain in prayer right now, I just want to reach out to those of you in this room, those of you watching online. Maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online, and maybe you would wrestle in yourself today, really trying to reconcile where you stand with God because there is an evil one. And I really believe that there's some in this room right now and there's some of you watching online that the enemy has blinded your mind. It's it's a weapon of his. Because you hear all these things and something in you says it's true. Something in you wants to lean into it. Something in you wants to cross that line of faith. But But the part of you that says, oh, this is just a bunch of religious fanaticism. Oh, man, this is for people who are weak minded. Man, you're doing good. You don't even need this stuff. That's where the enemy is crippling and destroying your life. And I pray that whoever you are watching, I pray in the name of Jesus, under the sound of my voice, that the blinder come off of your eyes today in the name of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit convicts you, not out of guilt and shame, but convicts you in love and mercy and grace. Heads bowed, eyes closed, because somebody in this room, somebody online is about to come to Jesus Christ and go all in. No more religion, no more playing church, no more having a form of godliness and have no substance at all and no power, no relationship. It's all church, church, church. We're becoming a bunch of church addicts. God's not looking for a bunch of church fans. He's looking for followers of Jesus. And some of you in this room and some of you online, you've never gone there. You love him, you believe in him but you've never gone to that place and you know who you are because the Spirit of God is all over your heart right now. Some of you who thought you were in, the Holy Spirit's telling you right now you're not. And he's giving you this moment of opportunity. And I wanna pray with you if that's you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're watching online. You are in the right place today because this is not a place of judgment. This is a place of hope and grace and mercy. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you need a fresh start with God today, I wanna pray with you right where you sit, right where you are online. But if that's you, I want you to lift your hand right now. Let me pray for you. Come on, all over this room. Come on, be bold about it. Don't be ashamed. Come on, raise your hand right where you are. Lift them up. I wanna see you. God bless you. And you, so many of you, I can't even count them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I wanna lead you in a very simple prayer right now. We're all gonna pray with you. And I want you to mean this from your heart. Mean this from your heart. Come on, y'all, let's pray with him, right? Let's celebrate this moment. Everyone praying out loud, dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. I surrender all my life completely to you. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me to live for you. Thank you for a fresh start. In Jesus' name, and everybody said a big Amen. They overcame him by the word of their testimony. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, just as you remain seated, if you did pray that prayer, 
you raised your hand, would you do me a favor? In the seat back in front of you is a connection card. Would you grab that? Would you fill that out for us? Let us know who you are. Take you like five seconds. Just check the box that applies to you. Hey, gave my life to Jesus today or I re rededicated my life to Christ. We'd love to know who you are. You can put that card in the offering container on your way out. The ushers are holding them in the exit ways. We wanna celebrate with you and pray for you, be a part of your journey and help you spiritually. And also I wanna encourage you and thank you church for giving and being so generous with your, your, your giving and returning the tithe. Man, I'm so impressed by the generosity of our church. Those of you online, thank you. Even to those of you who don't live in our area that are giving and, and saying, hey, we believe in what you do. We wanna partner with you in making a difference. Let me tell you something, this past Wednesday, we were able to feed, we gave away 500 food boxes right here from our church parking lot. Cars were lined up down the road, ministering to the needs of our city. Guess what, church? You guys made that happen. You guys made that happen. We were able to feed hungry people in our city during this time that really needed it. And you should, you should have seen it, man. There were cars coming in, getting food boxes, and they would pull up a little further. And we had teams ready to pray with them right there in the window, mask and everything. Can we pray with you? In tears, man. People are like, man, this is so great. Do we owe you anything? No, you don't owe us nothing. This is all because of Jesus, man. We just wanna pray for you. And they had needs they were sharing. We were able to pray for people. Listen, God's doing something. Thank you for sowing into it. Thank you for valuing and investing in it. If you are new with us and you don't know, you may think, man, how can I participate and be a part? There's a couple of ways you can. If you wanna give, you can give physically in the building through the envelopes in the back of your seat. Just fill out whatever you wanna fill out, however God leads you. And on your way out this morning, you can drop it in the containers and the exit ways the ushers are holding. You can also give through text to give. You can actually text the word vibrant to 77977. You can give that way. You can also give online to vibrantchurch.com slash giving and go there. You can give that. All these places are secure to give. We just try to give as many opportunities for people to participate as possible, making it easy uh, for everyone to be a part of what God is doing. Thank you so much for being a part of what God's doing. Hey, don't forget this Wednesday night, 7 p.m., we're in our series on James. I am having a great time with it. A lot of people hearing a lot of great things from that. People are really getting a lot out of it. Don't miss seven o'clock, uh, Facebook Live, Wednesday night, be a part of what we're doing. Midweek, get that, get that word in you this week on Wednesdays. Don't forget, we're going into our last week of 21 days of prayer. If you've not joined us, listen, jump online on Facebook Live, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. tomorrow morning through Friday morning, 6 to 7 a.m. You log on tomorrow morning, I'm gonna be standing right here with our team, and we're gonna lead you in a great time. It's one hour of prayer. A lot of people, I'm surprised how many people are logging on and joining us for that. On Saturday, it's, it's 9 to 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. This is our last week. Jump in, because I really believe God wants to speak to your heart and do some things in your life. I believe miracles and breakthroughs come when, God turn, when God's people turn their face toward him and seek him in prayer. Do you believe that, everybody? Yeah? So come on, be a part. 21 days of prayer. Stand to your feet, and let me just pray for you before we leave. Just wanna pray a blessing over your life today. Just wanna pray for you. If you just open up your hands and just receive this today before we leave. Father, I just pray today. Let your face just shine upon your people. God, I pray that your favor cover them. I pray, God, that you give them peace. I pray, God, that you prosper them in all ways. And I give you thanks and praise for what you're doing in their life. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week.